Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and today on this special Friday episode, I'm going to be a little bit self-indulgent. I've done this a couple of times. I've done almost 300 episodes of the show. Actually, I've got over 300 recorded, but almost 300 have been released. So I wanted to share with you guys my newest album, album 31. This is called The Shattered Room. And uh, as usual, the first part of the year, I do uh, an album remaking older songs that uh, deserve a proper release that, uh, yeah, I mean, I made an album. A few people have it out there somewhere on a cassette tape or a CD. But, you know, these albums never had a proper release. This is, uh, you know, early Internet times and um, early being able to release things on the global scale like I can now. So it was mostly just, you know, a couple of friends and some family members and that kind of thing. So now that I'm able to do proper releases with beautiful artwork and uh, really high quality production, I'm going back and redoing all these songs. Then in the summertime, I will release an album of new material. Uh, I've done something a little different this year, though. I've challenged Kelly, who does such an amazing job with the graphics on my artwork, and Rebecca, who does the lettering, uh, home run to both of them on this album. I absolutely love it. Um, Initially... Uh, I think there was like nothing I wanted Kelly to change, except maybe I wanted to try one thing that was probably ridiculous and didn't work. And then with Rebecca, like off the bat, she came up with that like uh, etched glass lettering that was just so absolutely perfect. Um, But I didn't like where it was. So I just had her move it. And other than that, like right out of the gate, 100% perfect, beautiful album cover. I love working with these ladies. They're absolutely amazing. If you're looking for um, lettering or graphics. These are the people to talk to. They do such a great job with my stuff. Um, and also on my books and the Uriah Heat podcast logo, Scott Lazinski did an amazing job on all of those. He did the third Vegas book and all three Universal Court books. I am really blessed to have some people that are absolutely amazing to work with. I have tried working with so many people over the years and gotten burned almost every time. So I really don't work with people a whole lot outside of that team. There's projects that unfortunately may never get done specifically because I need people to work with. And just, uh, you know, the trust is not there anymore. Um, You can only uh, explode a bridge so many times and rebuild it before you're like, you know, this bridge doesn't need to be rebuilt. So uh, it's a shame. But this album, fortunately, uh, did not require me to reach out for any help on the music or production side. So I was able to do this um, completely in-house, which is great. I employed a a new technique throughout the process of this based on one purchase. Um, I'll get to that in a little bit. But um, these songs range uh, quite a span of years, going back to my very first album, Origins, and uh, all the way up to, I think, what was it, like um, the 90s? Or maybe there was one in the 2000s. I'll find out because I've got all the years. I just don't remember off the top of my head. But this was a really fun project to do. Um, I did more live drums and more bass, uh, actual bass guitar on this album than I have any of the ones previously. I think I'm just getting more confident as a bass player, um, not just in recording a good track, but also getting a better sound, being able to do more things than I could previously. Uh, when I went to the NAM show last year, uh, the first one since COVID and since the lockdown uh, restrictions had lifted. In fact, um, they lifted all the restrictions in California just before the NAM show. So even though, uh, you know, I continued to be safe um, and wear a mask, there were a lot of people that weren't, but you didn't have to. That was the thing is that California had lifted all their restrictions. So things had been deemed getting better. And um, I don't really know what the result of any of that was. I have not had COVID, thankfully, in all this time, but I go out very minimally. And uh, usually later at night uh, when I go to the store or to uh, a walk or anything like that, I usually go when it's later and there's less people out. So my exposure has been much lower. I, I did get sick coming back from the NAM show. I did start to feel a cold coming on. I pumped massive vitamin C. Thank you to the Whole Foods brand uh, vitamin C. There is a 1200 milligram vitamin C powder that is just amazing. I take that uh, when I get back from any time I have to go out into the world and it works beautifully for me. So I'm very grateful for it. Um, in any case, whatever, that's all uh outside of the scope of the album. So I'm very, very happy with the album cover. I love that um, the gray wintry feel to it. 
absolutely amazing. I love the etched lettering. One thing that that's nice on these older albums is that I can send Kelly the original versions of the songs because they're already written and recorded and say, you know, here's the the setup of what I'm working with for the album. So you get the gist of what it's going to um, sound and feel like based on the songs that that are going to be on it. But then a lot of times I will reshape the songs. They won't necessarily be quite the same, but it gives her an idea of where, you know, what the overall feel and concept of the album is. So there are uh, some songs that are pretty straightforward to the way that I originally wrote them, just with more modern sounds and production. And there's others that I completely overhauled into very different songs. So um, we'll get into all that. The album is available uh, right now on Bandcamp and Spotify. There is a player on my website where you can go and hear the full songs. I'm just going to play little snippets of it here. um, And I'll have that link in the show notes. Here's the thing. When it comes to um, Spotify, I'm not a big fan. You have to put your stuff on there if you want people to know it's out. That's just the way it is. That's the world that we live in today um, because so many people search for music. That's how so many people find music. My hope is that always that people care enough about artists to go and actually buy the music from a proper distributor and not somewhere where they can um, you know, just listen over and over and over again and the artist really doesn't make any money because you know, we're taking this out of the money that we live on because we love doing it and um, it's not anything that's going to become a career if people are just streaming it. And that's a shame because there's a lot of great artists that just quit because they can't make a living at it. And so uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Spotify as a vehicle to get noticed, to make people aware of you. But I'm also a big fan of taking care of artists. I personally, and, and I'm, I won't condemn anybody that does, but I personally do not subscribe to any streaming services. If I want uh, an album or a song from an artist, I will properly buy it so that they get paid. Uh, if it's out of print, there's only so much I can do. Or if it's in a like a format, like I'm I'm slowly going back and collecting uh, vinyl for a, a multitude of reasons, uh, just certain albums that I used to own and uh, others in the collection that I only got on cassette. But, um, you know, those are are most of them are older ones that, um, you know, you can't really buy from a proper distributor anymore. Those you have to get used. Um, if I can find one, great, but most of them I can't. Um, but any new music, certainly, um, you could buy from iTunes, from Amazon. The artists get paid from those places, buy direct from their website, even though most of them will link back to iTunes or Amazon. Um, but those are the places that I mostly buy from for you stuff. Um, eBay can be a little bit questionable on quality. Um, I feel like people on Discogs tend to grade their albums a little bit better and give you a a, a more proper idea of what you're actually going to get. And um, I've had uh, great success with Discogs. There's a couple people that I won't buy from anymore just because um, they weren't very friendly or or professional. Um, But for the most part, I've had really, really good experiences on there. Um, packaging is packaging. People will do that any, any way that they want. I also found Etsy is a, uh, is a potential resource for some albums too. Although the pricing is just, it's all over the place. Um, at least with Discogs, you can kind of look up a, a, a multitude of other people selling that same album or 45 and get an idea of what it's worth with the condition. Whereas like eBay, Etsy, people just seem to say, oh, well, this is a really famous band and it's an old album, so it's got to be worth 40 bucks or 60 bucks or $120. And there's not a lot of pricing control over there. So just, you know, if you're out there buying older stuff, really look into what you're getting. Um, You can make a purchase on eBay. That's certainly fine. But uh, I would always check Discogs and make sure that the price is in line and that the condition seems pretty reasonable. Have them send you a picture or two of of the vinyl if you're not sure. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, But I digress. That's getting away from this podcast. What I'm here to talk about is The Shattered Room. And um, there is a song on here called The Shattered Room, which was very experimental when I wrote it. Um, It was one of my, one of the songs I had high hopes for, but I didn't like the way I did it. And I hadn't really redone it until now because it was a lot to take on. And I just never felt was the time to do it. And then when I was putting songs together for this album, I just felt it was the right time. So I'll get more into that story when I get there. Um, The first one one, is is really one of the earlier songs that I wrote when I first got my Korg N264 sequencer. I'm sorry, the X2 sequencer. No, strike that. 
it's all wrong. My X3 sequencer, which was the uh, 16-track, 61-note keyboard from Korg that my buddy Scott Davies uh, talked me into getting, and, and I'm very grateful for it. It certainly completely reshaped my ability to write music. I was working off of a four-track and Casio keyboard before that, um, and sometimes a drum machine. And um, yeah, that was, a, that was a start to a much bigger world. So thank you again for that, Scott. And this one is called Awakening the Dream. And this was written um, originally August 17th of 1996. So this is going back uh, quite some time. I should point out for anyone who hasn't listened to earlier uh, self-reviewed albums that I've done before, whatever date that I give a song, that is the date that I finished the song. So I might have been working on this for some time, um, but the date I assigned to it is when it was completed or when at least when the initial writing session was completed. And I really uh, didn't change a whole lot, but there was no bass outside that initial, because uh, the whole, the, the majority of it was written on just one sound that was a multi-layered sound. And then I added some percussion and uh, and some other stuff as the song goes on. But what you're hearing in the beginning uh, is mostly just that one original sound. What I added underneath of it was a live bass guitar line, which uh, although it flows with the bass line that's on that main part, um, it actually... Uh, plays a little bit differently underneath of it. It flows a little bit more instead of being so choppy and staccato. So I think it helps move the song along a little bit better. Uh, It was a lot of fun to play. Um, It was, it was a little hard to get the groove at first because I kept hearing the bass line from the main instrument. So it was uh, a little distracting, but once I got the flow of it, uh, it was just a lot of fun to play. And um, when I was done, I was like, damn, I hate that I did such a good take because I wanted to go play it again because it was so much fun. But it's a it's a fun song, and this is, um, you know, really in, in the early days of my writing. It's one of the the earlier songs I wrote, and I, I guess I just said that. But um, really, kind of sets me up for where I was headed as a new age artist, even though I didn't necessarily know that at the time. And this would have been when I was still living in Colorado, so this was before um, before I came across uh, Mythos or any of those other bands. Uh, I think I knew Patrick O'Hearn. I was a big fan of Patrick O'Hearn by this point, but Mythos I hadn't heard of yet. So uh, it's a really interesting time uh, for me as a writer, just kind of discovering the scope of what I can do with 16 tracks of music. And um, yeah, this was a lot of fun. This, This song flowed really well. I was attempting to add a drum track to it. I wanted to see how that sounded. But what I realized was this is not a straight 4-4 song as it appears to be. There are some spots where I would cut out a beat or two in the in uh, one, one or two of the passes there. So um, yeah, it was a little more challenging to find something that worked. And I really wasn't happy with it, uh, with adding drums, because uh, for a song like this to flow, I think it really needs a straight beat. And since I couldn't give it one, just taking out one beat here and there, um, having to do a different accent on the snare to make it work or do a different drum roll. It just it just distracted from the flow of the song too much. So ultimately, I did not do uh, I didn't leave the drum track on here. Um, there were parts I really liked and I, and I think worked well, but overall it, it was just too distracting and, and took the flow away from the song. So um, that is Awakening the Dream. This next song is called Silent Call. Uh, this was originally composed, uh, oh, on Valentine's Day of 1997. So, uh, uh, wow, um, almost to the day that uh, this album comes out. Uh, this one, again, was one that I didn't uh, change too much 
modernize the sound and the production. Oh, I was going to talk about uh, what I did differently on this album for production. So uh, for you audio engineers out there, I found a new uh, um, sound plugin that was on sale for like eight bucks and it's called Oven. And I thought, you know, I, I watched the demo of it. I'm like, this looks like it could really uh, give me a nice sound very quickly uh, for the album. And it looks very easy to use. So uh, I went ahead and got it and I just put it on my master bus and just just tweaked it a little bit. And all of a sudden it just gave me this huge wide sound. So I actually mixed with uh, this on the master bus. I exported with uh, with it off because I didn't want it burned into um, the the mix to be mastered. I just wanted that mix to be dry uh, just with, with whatever instrument effects, you know, delays, reverbs, that sort of thing. Uh, but I didn't want anything on the mastering side of it. So then when I went to master it, I actually added it to the end of my mastering chain. So I've got uh, Ozone uh, from Isotope, which I use for mastering. And then uh, I added this on after Ozone. So um, I actually did master with it and then burned that into the final. And it really gave it a nice widening, uh, much bigger sound than it would have had otherwise. And I really, really dug it. I actually went back to a previous album, uh, The Forgotten Puppet Show, which I did last year, and played with a song that I was never quite 100% happy with the mix. It was called Majestic View. And I re uh, remixed and mastered it with Oven. And oh my God, the sound is so much better. So I threw that on a, uh, a video with a picture I took in Boulder City, Nevada. And um, it's not the exact location that inspired the song, but it's very close to it. Uh, I just didn't want to drive all the way out there that day. But um and I'm not exactly sure where the spot is. I know generally where it's at, but not exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, so I used it on that. So I'm probably going to go back at some point this year and remix and remaster the Forgotten Puppet Show because I think it'll benefit greatly from a much better uh, sound overall. I actually tried to listen to it in the car off of my iPod and I thought, wow, now that I've heard what Oven can do, this mix sounds way too thin, uh, very unimpressive and... Um, really don't like it. So uh, that's probably one thing that I'll do going forward unless I find a better tool. But I'm actually going to be using that in my workflow as I'm working on the song so that I can shape it to the final picture as I go a little bit better than trying to mix it after the fact. So this should be interesting. Um, as I as, When I start tackling the next album, I'm going to try that as an experiment and see where it goes. But Oven, really cool uh, for you composers and audio engineers. Check it out. Um, I just, like I said, I just made some very subtle uh, changes to, you know, just where it's set when you open it up and um, really got some great results. So um, so Silent Call is the next song. And like I said, this was written on Valentine's Day of 1997. And uh, here is a little bit of that. This one, um, I added a number of layers to, um, updated some of the older sounds and then did a, uh, a fresh drum and bass track. I actually did two drum tracks for this and doubled parts of it. Um, you heard it, uh, you heard, uh, my English is great. Good thing I'm a musician. 
um, you heard it a little bit there at the end of that clip and uh, towards the end of the song, uh, it really picks up again um, where I just added back in some of that second track where I didn't, you know, like I did my first track, the safety track. And then on the second track, I just kind of went all out and did a lot of drum fills and some crazy stuff. And I liked a lot of what was in there. And so I just layered them together and got a very interesting sound, something I've never tried before, but um, I didn't like it for the whole track, just in certain parts. So um, I kind of just jazzed it up a little bit with that. And um, and like I said, some additional uh, sounds. I did also, you know, while I was doing these, I did take uh, some of the songs and just kind of go, okay, this part's too long, this part's too short. Um, I need to add something or take something out here. Um, like I said, a lot of these are fairly true to the original songs, but some of them are are chopped down just because of uh, repetition and it being unnecessary and parts being a little bit too long. Um, they were great for where I was as a writer at the time. And as I found by doing these remake albums, um, just where I am now, where I've grown, where I think I am as a as both a composer, as a performer, and as an audio engineer... I just think that um, they deserve, uh, you know, something that's more representative of where I am now. And uh, and it's neat to see the contrast of where they started and, and where I put them on this album. So there is a deluxe version of this album on Bandcamp. And what the deluxe part is, is uh, two songs that I've included uh, from the original versions. All I did was just kind of remaster them. Um, I just uh, cleaned up the audio uh, and and just you know gave them that bigger sound. But the recording is exactly the original recording. I didn't change anything for instruments, parts, uh, any of that at all. Um, I just basically made the sound a little bit bigger so that it wasn't too uh, distracting from the rest of the album. And those two songs are only on Bandcamp. I'll talk about those when I get to them in the review here. Um, this next song is called Second Thoughts. This was originally composed uh, May 19th, or I'm sorry, August 19th of 1996. A uh, very busy year for me as a songwriter. I was having so much fun. And what's crazy is I was like working two full-time jobs and still, um, you know, like coming home and working on music every day, working on music before I went to work, or sometimes if I had time between jobs, I would come home and work. Like it was, it was crazy. I was around the clock as much as I could be and, uh, doing shows with Zen radio here and there. Um, yeah, it was, it was a crazy busy time, but a lot of fun. So here is a little bit of the song Second Thoughts. This was actually inspired by, um, my friend Doug and, and, uh, his fiance Maida, we're getting married. And I just kind of started thinking about marriage and, and what a big thing this is. And just the idea of like having everything planned, paid for, guests invited, everybody coming, it being like a couple of days away. And just thinking about, you know, what would happen if you were like just suddenly doubting everything, like that pounding feeling in your heart and just all the the crazy things swirling in your mind, wondering if you're doing the right thing, reassuring yourself that you are feeling stuck because everything's done and paid for and it's really expensive. And um, just so many things that might be swirling through a person's head. And, you know, some people never experience that. And that's awesome. They're like, nope, from the day I met you, I knew you were the right one. Um, so it's it's kind of um, it's kind of crazy. Uh, unfortunately, Maida is no longer with us. We lost her a few years ago. and um, But she was a, a very, very lovely, lovely woman and a, a dear friend of mine. So uh, while this song is not written about them specifically, they just kind of triggered the idea for me uh, just because their, their wedding was coming up. And uh, so anyway, here is Second Thoughts.
The next song on the album is called Gondola, and uh, I originally composed this uh, October 31st of 1999. It was inspired by my uh, first visit to Phoenix, Arizona, and my brothers took me and my grandmother, who was also visiting at the time, to a place called the Ganey Ranch in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, it's this beautiful property that's, um, you know, you go into the back and there's this, uh, as I recall, there's this lovely uh, garden. And then they have these individual little saunas that you can sit in. And then this, uh, you know, much uh, bigger uh, body of water. And uh, it was just like this beautiful atmosphere. I don't remember if they actually had gondolas or not, but this was something that, you know, as usual, uh, got into my crazy head. So uh, here is a little bit of gondola. thinking about it they must have had some kind of like um river where you could take a gondola ride i mean it was a very romantic place so i i can't imagine where i would have gotten that idea if they didn't uh, we do have uh gondolas here at the venetian in las vegas um it's a little less romantic because you're surrounded by shoppers and tourists and uh, onlookers and stuff but uh, they actually sing to you in the little gondola as they take you around uh, their little water uh, spot there it's actually quite nice um, this next song is called Internal Struggle. This was written September 4th of 1997. Um, this one was very much inspired by the sound that I found on the uh, the X2 or the X3 uh, core keyboard. Um, just playing around with different things. This was another multi-layer sound um, and just kind of jamming with it. The thing about multi-layer sounds in a sequencer, at least back then, I don't know so much now uh, because the, the only... One that I have now is the upgraded version, the N264 from the X3, uh, which works, the brain works exactly the same way. It just has more sounds and an arpeggiator that I never used. But uh, whatever effects the multilayered sound had, any sound that you put on any other track would also be using those same effects. So when I wrote the drums and the bass line and everything else, it had that same delay and reverb that the uh, the main sound does. So when I went to work on this song, I thought, well, that's going to be a problem because I wanted to do a new drum track for it, but how am I going to get the same feel out of the song? So I had to figure out what it actually was in the way of effects and then go back and recreate that for the drums and everything else. So I think I was able to do that and uh, and was very happy with it. Also, you know, recorded a fresh bass track and uh, and all that. But it was, it was good fun. The song is basically fairly true to the original apart from that. Uh, I think it was just a new drum and bass track. I might have layered in a couple of other uh, sounds just to thicken it up. But um, apart from that, yeah, it's, it's basically the original song.
Yeah, that one's a lot of fun. Uh, I really, I, I've always enjoyed that song. That's one that I've listened to uh, many times over the years. Uh, this next one is an interesting song. This was written for a friend of mine who was having a um, problem with her kids going to sleep. <laughs> Funny that uh, that became a focus of mine many years later when I would start Mental Sauna. Uh, but the original song was called Lullaby. This was composed February 25th of 1996. I have turned this into uh, a brand new song called Lulled by One, um, which is also about her. So take that. But um, the original version was uh, very simple. Uh, And it's the song that I hate the most that I've written because it was just so simple and um, almost cheesy sounding. You know, I mean, I I think it works for the reason that I wrote it, although it might be a little too um, intricate for, for what I wrote it. It did work for them. Um, it did help them sleep, but thinking about like how I write mental sauna music and that now, um, God, it would have been awful, uh, for a lullaby in comparison. So here's a little bit of the original song. So basically the idea was like a a music box, you know, just writing a song for a a music box that didn't exist. And um, so very simple, very, uh, you know, plucky. Um, Nowadays, though, with it, I would have rolled off the attack on the piano so that it's not so uh, percussive and just been a a warmer um, ambient tone. Um, But let's see what I did with this song, because I really this is one. The reason I included the original is because this one is vastly different. I I really changed the song around quite a bit um, from the original. So as you can see, it is a vastly different song, completely rewritten and overhauled. And that's why I wanted to put the original version on there so that, um, you know, to kind of give you an idea of just how far some of these songs have come, why I've redone them. Um, There's a real dark section at the end of this one. Um, But yeah, yeah, vastly different from the original. And so now I'm much happier with this version over the original version. I I mean, I say it's the worst song I've ever written, the original, but... um, it, it, whether it is or not, I mean, that's subjective, but it's it's just one that it's just like nothing else I had ever written. It was very repetitive, very plinky, and um, it, it worked for what it was intended to do. So I don't hate the song, but I just like looking back as I've grown as a composer, I'm like, God, that's just so simple and ridiculous compared to what I'm actually capable of. But sometimes you do need something simple and sometimes you do want something ridiculous. So Um, So you get the contrast if you get the deluxe version that's only on Bandcamp. The other versions will only have uh, all the the new versions of the songs, but the two bonus tracks will be on the Bandcamp website only. Now, uh, that brings us to our next song, which is the first of two songs on this album inspired by golf courses. Uh, uh, There was one song that I've released so far. I think it was on the Dreamscape album called Swinger, which was inspired by a miniature golf course. Um, this one and the other one were actually inspired by a night that I spent running sound for a reggae band in Denver. 
And um, my buddy Brian uh, couldn't do the gig. He had booked it, uh, but he couldn't do it. So I was in Colorado Springs at the time. I drove up to Denver to do the gig. Uh, Fantastic reggae band. It's a shame that they uh, didn't last. But uh, I had a lot of fun. And while I was there by myself running sound, the, the, um, they were playing like right at uh, the edge of a lake. So it was like a really nice scenery. Now, this wasn't um, a miniature golf course. Obviously, it was a, like a regular full on large scale golf course. Um, but it inspired these two songs. And the first one, because they were playing right at the edge of the water, is called Pond. So Pond was originally composed July 30th of 1997. Um, I don't remember what night the gig was. I do remember it was over the summer. It was pretty warm out. So uh, I I don't know how close it would have been to that, but it would have been the same summer, I'm sure, um, to that. The other song, Windmill, which we'll get to uh, in a little while, was written uh, October 23rd of 97. So that went a little while later. Um, But um, yeah. Yeah, uh, it was fun writing the style of music. It wasn't something that I had done before, but I was very much inspired by the band that uh, I was running sound for that night. Uh, Really cool guys, too, I have to say. Um, The next song is called Hypnotic in the Middle. This is the second of the two songs that um, I am uh, including for bonus tracks. This one was actually one of the first, the opening and closing of the song, which which were uh, replicated is one of the first things that I wrote when I got my Korg sequencer. I was just having fun. I'm like, wow, what can I really do? How much does 16 tracks really get me? And just started playing on it. Um, My brother really liked it and wanted me to build that into a song. And eventually I did. Um, The song that it is now is completely, it's similar, but completely different. Um, Here was the issue. I can't uh, extract the original MIDI file, so I have no idea what all the sounds were that I used originally and how I layered them or uh, what all the notes were. So I had to recreate this from scratch. So I'm going to play you a bit of the original. And again, this this part, like right where it fades into where the beat goes, uh, that was all it was originally was just this little, you know, few seconds of sound. And uh, my brother kept saying, you got to do something with it. You got to do something with it. And eventually I put in the middle section. So let's check that out. And it really just keeps building from there. Um, I just keep adding instruments on every pass until it returns to that original spot. And so um, the beginning and the end are exactly the same. And then I just added everything in the middle. So I called the song In the Middle. When I went to redo it, um, the version I thought, the new version was way more hypnotic. And so I just changed the title to Hypnotic In The Middle. I thought it fit better. And uh, here's a little bit of that.
So it's a similar but different journey. Um, I like them both very much. I like the the sound and the feel of the first one, but I like the updated version too. I, I think it's got a nice feel to it. Um, the next song was one of the another one of the original ones that I wrote when I first got the sequencer. Uh, this was written sometime in 1995. I didn't have a an exact date on it. It's one of the few that I don't know for sure, but. Um, you know, it was sometime in that year. I, I'm able to narrow it down to that. Uh, this one was a lot of fun. It was it was very different. It was really me experimenting with percussion and synthesizers. And um, I really did recreate this, though, for the new album. I, this was another one that I turned into a very different song, but I didn't include the original. Uh, but what I'll do is I'll just play a little bit of it for you so that you can get an idea. it's a little dry sounding, but overall, I think that was actually a pretty decent mix for me not really uh, having anywhere near the experience that I do now. Uh, but that was the, the original version, the basic. Um, I really like that. It really takes me back to uh, around the time I wrote it, which was, I, I'm pretty sure it was like late summer or early fall that year. Um, a lot of fun though, a lot of fun, that song. And it was, it was great to really dig into what I could do with the sequencer and just layering sounds together, playing music that I'd never played or written before. So very different. But like I said, it was it was pretty early on in my career. So here is the a little snippet of the updated version. So that one has a lot of layers and a lot of fun. I didn't want to sound cheesy and say a lot of layers of fun, but I could have. I'm proud of my restraint. Um, our next song is, is one that I've always loved. I've thought about doing a um, like a more half country, half rock version of it, which could be interesting. Uh, but every time I do, it comes out like, uh, what is the song? I think Take Me With You by Whitesnake. So I don't want to duplicate that. Um, but it's a fun song. Um, I wrote it on a 12-string guitar sound and uh, just kind of built around it from there. For this version, I did add a um, a bass line, uh, a walking bass line, and um, a, well, I guess it's like half walking bass line, and a tambourine, which was not in the original. Um, it's It's a much better mix, too. I think the balance of guitar to piano is much better. And this would have been composed in uh, July, July 5th of 1997. Uh, again, a very busy time for me writing music. So here is Trail to Eternity.
there are a couple of parts later on in the song with a steel guitar. I actually kept that original uh, part. I, I didn't change that at all. I just re-recorded from the MIDI track uh, because I really loved it. I tried a couple of other sounds that uh, I thought might work, but honestly, I went back to the original Korg X2 sound or X3 sound. Um, it was really nice. It just it just had this warmth to it that I couldn't really replace. And um, yeah, I loved it. So there it is. Uh, this next song was written sometime in the late fall or early winter of 1995 after being stood up, uh, for a date. And this one is very, very close to the original. Um, I don't think I added, but maybe another just layer under it to thicken it up a little bit, but it is called The Coldest Night. Yeah, that's definitely a very, very dark and emotional one. Um, definitely reminds me of that time of year, uh, especially in Colorado, uh, with the way that the falls are there, or the, the autumn season, I should say. Um, this next track is a title track. It's called The Shattered Room. And this one, I, I said I would kind of explain a little bit more on when I got to it. So originally, the idea of this was just... Um, I don't want to go into the history of it too much. I'll just explain the song itself. So I really wanted something to feel disorientating and, and broken and just not generally a place you would want to stay for a long time, a place you wanted to look into the room and understand it and, and see why it was the way it was, but certainly not a place you'd want to linger for too long. So originally I just turned off the metronome. I went completely by hand on uh, all the drums and percussion and decided that I would not set it to a specific tempo. And that was the experiment for how well the song would work. Um, while I liked the idea, it was so all over the place because I, I think I went out of my way to not keep it on tempo that I just went too far in the opposite direction. It was too far all over the place to really make the song work. So while I liked a lot of the individual parts of the songs, what didn't work was the whole song together because there was really no tempo or rhyme or reason to it. So um, I finally decided, you know, and I, I picked up this song many times over the years and said, you know, I should really fix all this and just make a proper song out of it. But I never did. So when I was picking out songs for the new album, I thought, oh, this would be a perfect time. You know, I was way ahead of schedule. I've got plenty of time to work on it. And the album comes out a month later than I wanted, but that's okay. Um, I, I'm really happy with what I did with this song. Um, I don't think it's as disjointed as it, it was as far as what doesn't work. I feel the song has captured that disjointed. Yeah. You want to poke your head around the room and figure out what's going on, but it's not a room that you would ever put a chair or a bed in. Like you want to, you, you want to get out of there once you figured it out, but you kind of want to know at the same time. So, um, a lot of rework on this one, um, almost the entire song. Um, basically. So here is, but it, I mean, it stays true to the original, but it's just put in a tempo structure. So a lot of the same performances are there, but just everything's just kind of recreated into that, um, that proper rhythmic flow. So here's a little bit of that. Thank you. 
So definitely a, a brooding song. Uh, I would say that for sure. The, uh, the next song on the album is called Road to Recovery, written during a, a very difficult period of my life. This would have been in the winter of 1995. Just kind of sat down at this uh, exact piano sound and just started playing with it and came up with it and then um, just layered everything else around that. I did want to point out, though, uh, on The Shattered Room, that is a brand new drum and bass track, um, all re-recorded uh, just for this album. Uh, all the other performances were kept to the uh, original, except for I think I added a couple of uh, just pads and things to layer in uh, and, and thicken the song up a little bit because it, it did sound a little thin initially. Um, part of that had to do with the original EQ, uh, which was for some reason way more on the high end than it should have been. But, uh, you know, I, it, it was an experiment, that song. But I'm very happy with the final. I think uh, I finally got what I wanted out of it while achieving a, a proper song. So anyway, back to Road to Recovery. Uh, so uh, here is some of that. So the original did not have a bass guitar track or uh, any percussion at all. So all that was added along with, uh, again, the usual couple of layers to thicken the song up a little bit. Um, the percussion on this was actually inspired by a song by the band Rainbow, a bonus track called Weisheim, which uh, I don't know where all it appeared. The first place I found it was on the Jealous Lover EP. Um, this would have been during the uh, Graham Bonnet, Cozy Powell, Don Airy, Richie Blackmore and Roger Glover phase of the band for Down to Earth. It was not included on the album, was released on 45, um, but I didn't hear it until I got that Jealous Lover EP, um, which was one of the reasons I was so excited to get it because it was there was two songs on there I didn't know, Jealous Lover and Weissheim. A uh, very beautiful song. I really love uh, what Cozy did on it, just very minimal percussion. And uh, I took that a little step further. I've got the tick of the hi-hat, then another hi-hat with a delay on it, and then the kick with a, a delay and reverb on it. So uh, just a little bit something different, but that was where the idea came from. And then uh, adding the bass guitar and um, bigger guitar solo over it, that guitar solo is new. Um, so yeah, um, a much bigger song than it was originally. Again, like way too long, way too repetitive. It had the emotion, but it wasn't interesting at all. So um, quite a bit was added to it for this one. Um, our, our next song, our second to the last, this is track 14 called The Wind Changed the Tide. I was living in um, Littleton, Colorado, and this would have been where I was living when Columbine happened. And I was working at a music store uh, in Littleton. It was literally just around the corner from the apartment that I got, uh, which was great because I used to drive very long distances to go to work. Then I got promoted to the Boulder office and had a 45-minute drive each way to work. Uh, but that was okay because I really liked working up there. And um, but this was this uh, apartment complex was right at the edge of Marston Lake. So there's the lake and then the road that leads uh, around the lake. And then the apartment complex was on the other side of that road. But going out of the particular entrance that I would come in and out of to get to the music store um, that faced Marston Lake. So I got to, to drive out to Marston Lake and then uh, take a right and then head down to the uh, music store. So um, one day, it, it, you know, it gets very cold and it gets very windy in Colorado. Sometimes the water gets really, really choppy. And I just noticed how like the, the water seemed to flow in a direction and the wind just kind of came up and knocked it in a completely different direction. Uh, the water would white cap. It was pretty tumultuous out there. And that inspired this song called The Wind Changed the Tide.
And it was kind of metaphorical too, because I think this was right around the time that I had gotten promoted to the corporate office. So it was like, uh, I don't remember what it was, but all of a sudden they're like, yeah, you work up here now. And I went, okay. I don't remember if there was a specific event or something that happened, but uh, in any case, yeah. Uh, So that was uh, just, you know, another one of those moments where this big change happened and I just happened to catch this one event and uh, just sparked some, some inspiration. And our final track on the proper album, since I've already covered the bonus tracks um, within the original songs, uh, this one's called Windmill. This is the other song that was inspired by the golf course, along with Pond and that night running sound for the reggae band. This one uh, wasn't written until October 23rd of 97. And um, the, I, the, it was inspired by that night. But this is really more about, uh, you know, the, the miniature golf course windmill and how, you know, just that that almost comical way of every time you think you've beat it um, and the ball is rolling towards and you're like, all right, I beat the blades. I'm, I'm in. Then the blades just come down and knock the ball out of the, the hole. And um, it's, it's almost comical and playful in a way, but I also put it in that same reggae setting because it was that night uh, running sound for that reggae band that inspired it as well as Pond. So here is a little bit of Windmill. This was one of the most difficult songs on the album to mix, mainly because of that bass line. I just couldn't get the right level and EQ on it that made me happy. It was the song that I had to go back and fix the most after I thought I was done with the album. Um, I would listen to it in the car and then I would go, okay, I need to fix windmill. Um, That bass just isn't working. And I would make a change. I'm like, all right, I got it. And then go back in the car and listen to it. Nope, it's still not right. And I I did that, I think, five five or six times, I want to say five or five or six. I don't even know what numbers are at this point, uh, five or six times. And then finally, um, very, very happy with the vinyl on it. I, I really, as an audio engineer, uh, that was the most frustrating song on the album, although this was a very challenging album to mix. Um, but um, I, I'm very happy with the final product of it. And like I said, this new style of mastering uh, has really inspired me for what I will do going forward unless I find something better and maybe even go back and revisit some of the older albums like the Forgotten Puppet Show and that. And who knows, maybe I'll do a deluxe version of that and um, put a couple of the old songs on there. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Time will tell. But in any case, uh, this album has been a lot of fun to go and remake. Um, I was way ahead of schedule for a long time and then I fell way behind schedule and it didn't come out for about a month more than I had originally anticipated because I usually do January and June. But I think um, last year, I don't think the June album came out until August. But I mean, it's not like people are just waiting at the door for it to come out. So it's really just more on me and I don't want to put it out there until I feel it's at its absolute peak, the best it, it can be. That's when it should go out. And, um, but I'm very happy with the production. I'm very happy with the writing. I'm very proud of the fact that I was much more comfortable doing bass tracks on this one and, uh, and adding more drum tracks as well. Um, actual, uh, me playing drums versus programming drums. Um, this was a lot of fun to do this album and my God, that artwork is so spectacular. It really speaks volumes, even though, you know, some of these songs were written in the summertime, um, that, that theme of the the picture and the mood that it creates for me, thinking back to, um, you know, my time in Colorado where uh, these songs were all written, 
Um, well, most of them were written in Colorado. So, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely got some special uh, moments on here for me. A lot of great memories, but that cover just, God, it sums it up so great. So thanks again to Kelly and Rebecca. Um, I've got their links on the website page. So I'll have the links to the Bandcamp site if you want to purchase the album. I'll also have the link to the page on my website that supports this album. Um, it'll have the player on there and it'll also have like uh, links to Kelly and Rebecca and uh, all that kind of stuff in case you want to check out more of their work. So uh, thank you guys uh, very much for following this walkthrough of my new album, The Shattered Room with me. Um, it's been a lot of fun to work on and I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with the next album since I'm not actually plotting the music yet. Um, so I can't remember if I explained what I was going to do. So with this one, uh, normally I have a concept or a list, you know, a list of songs like on the remake and I have a title and I'll send it to Kelly. Uh, sometimes I have this really crappy sketch that I'll come up with and she'll spin that all of that into gold and just come up with something that I would have never thought of. That's a thousand times better than anything I've done. Cause I'm not as much of a visual guy when it comes to that. Um, so for the next one, I said, you know, what would be fun is instead of me saying, here's the concept for the album, now come up with a graphic that matches. I want you to come up with an interesting graphic and it'll be my job to write the music that matches the graphic. So I'm very curious to see what she does. Time will tell. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. It's going to be very interesting. So Thank you guys for joining me on this special Friday edition of the Haskin Cast podcast. Much more stuff coming. Um, 300th episode is about to drop very soon. Um, I've had a lot of multi-part episodes that I've really enjoyed doing. It's nice too, because it takes some of the pressure off of me, especially as I found now two more seasons of the Magicians podcast that I'm going to be doing on top of having just covered, uh, just doing a warm-up season and then covering uh, Chaos and Color which is their new album. Absolutely fantastic. If you're a fan of rock music and you want to hear a great modern sounding rock album with some very experienced writers and performers, check out Uriah Heep's new album, Chaos and Color. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't say enough good things about it in my reviews. So uh, check that out. All the links to the podcast can be found on the website as well as links to um, all my other albums and music projects. I will be updating more like soundtrack work and stuff like that when I get some time. I'm just a little overloaded with things as it is. But thank you guys for joining me. We'll see you on the next episode. Here comes number 300. Cheers. Cheers.